The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? You may be seated. Um, If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign in the back. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Ben. I'm on staff here at Restoration, and we are uh, delighted that you're here with us. That's you can. That's where. That's where it goes. Um, we are in the Book of Mark, as you just heard. We next week are going to start our Advent uh, series. Advent means coming. Uh, we are anticipating the coming of Christ in the Christmas season. And so four weeks before Christmas, we'll uh, have an Advent uh, series. And uh, this year we're doing um, the genealogy in Matthew 1 and looking at the four women mentioned uh, and how each of them are particular and important in the coming of Christ and what he brings and offers. So um, it'll be it'll be a great series that we're excited about. But just want to make sure you knew that so when we don't do Mark next week, you're thinking we didn't just chuck it. Um. But we are glad that you're here as we study this book. Uh, Mark is writing through a persecuted church, uh, people who are getting killed for their faith, uh, and he's reminding them it's worth it. Stay the course. It's going to be okay. The person you're following is the king, and the kingdom he brings is good and good for you, and it's worth it. And so we see how he does things like heals people with um, demons and and paralytics, and uh, he's... uh, hanging out with the outcasts of society. And he's doing all that to show what kind of kingdom he brings, who he is as a king. And this morning we'll see him as king, uh, calm a storm, a story that most of us know much about or have heard before. And it's, it's about calming a storm, but there's a particular depth to it that it shows us how Jesus relates to us in our fears how Jesus relates to uh, all people in their fears and who they are. Um, A storm is when uh, two forces come together and create a um, a mess and chaos. And what storms create in us is some kind of fear that something can be taken from us. And so whatever storm you're walking into this room with, uh, don't check it at the door. Whatever forces are coming together and ensuing and inducing fear in your life, Um, that's not enough for the king that brings a kingdom. And so as uh, we live and and are people who are uh, marked with fear and marked with storms, uh, know that um, the gospel is big enough to re-narrate those fears. We listen to fear because it tells us something about us. It's not true uh, most of the time, and it's not good most of the time, but it tells us something about us. It helps us explain who we are and why we are and where we are and how we are. And the story of the gospel invites us into a better story and a better explanation that you're loved, 
and you're free and nothing can be taken from you and you're not threatened. You're safe. So whatever you bring in this room this morning, it's not too much for King Jesus to say, you're safe. Be still. And this morning we'll see that in three, three ways in this story. First is that we see um, how we address him, how we address Jesus. Second is how he addresses our fears. And third, we see that he addresses us and how he addresses us. So with that in mind, let's pray as we study God's word together this morning. Lord, you know all of us by name, but, but it's not just that. You do know um, each of us. What gets us out of bed in the morning, what, what causes our hearts to drop, what, what's heavy, what's light. You know exactly the contours of our heart. And so this very day, Holy Spirit, minister grace to us as we see that you're the Lord of the storm and you're in the boat with us. Lord, we long for it to be more true. And we see it, and we know it, and we want it. So this day, would you make it true and real to us because you can and you are doing it. Make your story fit into our story so that we feel redeemed and beautiful and we feel your peace. We pray Christ in your name. Amen. So first, we see how we address Jesus, how we go to Jesus. It's been a long day for um, Jesus and his disciples. He's, um, he's been accused uh, to be de- demonic by the Pharisees. He's been chastised by his own family. He's then gone to the sea uh, shore and, and taught people and, and crowds grow and he gets in the boat and kind of goes offshore a little bit into the water and, and he teaches from there. It's been a long day. And after it, he says, let's change course and let's go across the sea. And so that's where we pick up in this story. And it says in verse 35 on the screen behind me, you can see it. Um, on that day when evening ha- had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. So here we are, um, we see um, how we go to Jesus. You're thinking that's not, I don't understand how you get that idea from that little part of the story. But we see how we go to Jesus and namely um, uh, when and how we go to Jesus. How we address Jesus, how we come to him. And oftentimes um, we go to him uh, in the moment when it's just too much that we're, we go to him in the 11th hour. Uh, the disciples are with Jesus and the storm's happening and the, the waves are crashing in and, and they're, they're afraid. But uh, if we kind of take a step back, we know these disciples are people who, um, before they were disciples, were fishermen in the Sea of Galilee and they likely were generational fishermen. So their dad did it and their granddad did it and their great-grand, you get it? They knew what it was like. This was not their first rodeo. And so um, they knew what a storm was like on the Sea of Galilee and how to navigate it well and how to do it right. And um, when the water came in the boat, they would bail it out. And they knew what to do. And yet here we see these generational fishermen um, find a storm they, they can't quite grasp. They can't quite beat. 
and the wind's happening and the waves are attempting to break the boat and they're filling it up. And just before the boat is filled up, then they go to Jesus. So often in our lives, when we go to Jesus is when it's in the 11th hour and it's late because we've tried to save ourselves as we're in our own boats and we're, we're bailing the water out, trying to save ourselves. Because it's in those avenues of competence and proficiency and expertise where we don't need Jesus in because we have ourselves. We own the corner of the market. We know how things are done. And because of that, we don't need Jesus' involvement in our lives because we've mastered our lives. We go to Jesus when we realize it's too much for us and we're tired of trying to save ourselves. Tim Keller, um, it's a longer a quote, but it's behind me. Um, you can read along. It says, there are two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. The first is by saying, I'm going to live my life the way I want. The second is described by Flannery O'Connor, who wrote about one of her characters, Hazel Motes, that, quote, he knew the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. If you are avoiding sin and living morally so that God will bless you and save you, then ironically, you may be looking to Jesus as a teacher, model, helper, but you're avoiding him as a savior. You're trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus for your standing with God. You're trying to save yourself by following Jesus. It's possible to avoid Jesus as savior as much as by keeping all the biblical rules as by breaking them. Both religion, in which you build your identity on moral achievements, and irreligion, which you build your identity on some other secular pursuit of relationship, are ultimately spiritually identical courses to take. Both are sin. These guys had not, um, these storms that they had encountered was not a surprise to them. They knew how to do it. They were proficient in it. They were masters in it. So often the lanes that we drive in, that we are masters of, we're competent in, that we know how to do, keep Jesus away because we only need ourselves. So my question to you this morning of, uh, is what lane and avenue are you in that you are competent and you don't need Jesus because you have mastered it? You've got everything going correctly. There's no, um, nothing wrong in it. And because of that, you're fine. What competence do you need to repent of this day? What is something that distracts you from the things and the people in the boat with you? Um, in a famous podcast this week, Paul David Tripp said that the most controlling people are the most fearful people. That the most controlling people are the most fearful people. And so uh, if we see that and apply that to our lives, where do you feel the most control in your life? Because... You're afraid. Again, storms create fear in us because they threaten something in us. Where do you feel the control in your life? When I was in high school, um, we went out to eat once, and um, some of us were going camping, and some of us were going to a school function, and then we're going to circle back with the people who were camping. So we ate uh, ate, um, dinner at this place, and we uh, parted ways. One group went to go set up the campsite, make the fire, get everything ready. The other group went to school, and I was in the group that went to school. 
And so um, amidst this school function uh, thing that we were at, I had a friend pull me out of the room and we went to the parking lot kind of on, uh, in the middle of campus. And uh, it was kind of in these rolling hills. And he pointed and said, look, look over there. And I looked and, and about four miles away, I saw on one of the hillsides uh, was uh, this big, large fire. And he said, they did that. Which meant all of our friends made a campsite, made a fire, left, and now there's a forest fire. And so, thank you for laughing. It's, it's meant to be funny. <laughs> um, and what happened was they left and they went uh, to go get more food. And they came back up. They found this fire. And they didn't call anyone because they tried to fight the fire and fight the fire. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And actually, they never did call anybody because people saw it counties away. And they called the fire department. And the National Guard was called in. But that's not important to the story. So often we try to fight the things in our lives that we think we have control of. We think we can control this forest fire because we've been camping before, and yet it grows and it grows and it grows. We think we're competent enough to manage our own lives, and yet that only keeps Jesus at bay, and it only adds to more uncontrolled things happening and arising and the boat filling up with water. We think we're so competent that we can do it all by ourselves maybe uh, make it a personal application for this room, both the people in this room and the four walls of this room. Um, we have five weeks until uh, uh, we end our capital campaign. This, by way, is, is no guilt into giving money. Hear, hear that loud and clear. Capiche? We have five weeks until we finish a capital campaign. And we may be so wrong to think that, you know, we think... Someone's going to cut a check. We'll be good. We know enough people that we can shake enough trees that we'll get to the finish line and forget the whole entire purpose of why God has brought us to this very point to help us understand more about who he is and what he has for this particular church body in this particular building because we think we can do it all by ourselves, which is, by, which is why at 8.30 next Sunday, we invite anyone and everyone to join us in that room over there to pray and ask God to move and help close the gap because this is not our idea, it's his idea. And if he wants us to have it, he's gonna have to do it. Actively repenting of our own competence. Where in your life do you have to actively repent of your own competence because you're putting Jesus far from yourself? So that's when we go to Jesus. We, we go to him when, when we can't be, um, when the boat's filling up with water and we can't bail fast enough. How do we go to Jesus? And this one will be shorter. That we address Jesus. We go to Jesus in a manner in which we address him directly. That at the 11th hour, when it's, when it's late in the game, we go to him and we say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? That we take up the words of the, the disciples here and say, teacher, Teacher, is the, it's in the vocative case, which means that the, uh, the phrase is meant to um, be addressed to a person, but the, it's meant to kind of be the object of the phrase. Um, I'm not an English major, as you could tell. But it's meant to say, listen, buddy, you. Aren't you going to do anything? Don't you care that we're perishing? And it's important how Jesus responds to this, and we'll look at that. 
But oftentimes we go to him and say, listen, buddy. We know how this story's gonna end unless you do something. So please do something. And when we get to that point, Jesus can do much with displaying his power in our lives, which is what shows us our second idea, how he addresses our fears, how he answers that question, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing, is important. And he says this in verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He doesn't um, entertain the storm. He doesn't just simply slide an ingredient into the mix so that it can compete with the, the fury of the storm. He extinguishes it with a word. That he says, uh, it says he rebuked the storm. This uh, word rebuked is said and used in the exact same morphology in other places, um, like when he casts demons out. He rebukes demons out of people. And he, and he does things like uh, cast evil spirits out and he heals the sick, the fever and sick people. And um, it's the same word he uses when um, he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. When Peter um, challenges him about him having to die. We see that Jesus rebukes the things in our lives that cause chaos. But also, he doesn't just extinguish it. He replaces it with something. He rebukes the wind and he says, peace, be still. It could be translated, be muzzled. He rebukes it and says, uh, be still. He doesn't call on a higher power with a wand and say, by the power of blah, 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 blah. He, he, he says, be still. What does this show us about who Jesus is and how he addresses our fears? He is acutely against the things that cause chaos in the people that he loves to the point that he will rebuke it and he will replace it. He will rebuke the the chaos and the storm and he will replace it with peace. And actually, that's just a small, this story is a small snapshot into um, his character. That the character of God is all about that. And we know that because it's on the first page and the last page of the Bible. And both are probably words you've heard before and we'll run through them. Genesis 1, God created things. And it says before he created things, in verse 2 of Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was covering, or darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, formless and empty. Another passage in Scripture says how uh, it's, a, it's a howling, barren wasteland. And formless and empty are, is, are, are words that attest to the fact that the way things were, the environment it was like, was hostile to human life, to human existence, to human flourishing. And what does God do? He enters into it and he speaks a word. He takes a chaos and brings calm and stillness. In the last page of the Bible, in Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We look into the future, and when everything is perfect, what is not there? A sea. In ancient times, a sea was characterized by chaos because you couldn't control it. And what's not there is a sea. He rebukes it. He casts it out. What is there? Words that say, you're mine and I'm yours. Every tear that, you, that, that, that comes from your eyes, I'm going to wipe away. No more pain or crying or death. The old order of things is, is, is gone. It's passed away. So if that's the last page of the Bible, and if we have these two ends in sight, it makes sense that Mark 4 is just a small snapshot into those two realities that the God of Scripture is up to in our lives. That he takes the chaos of our storms, rebukes it, casts it out, extinguishes it, and replaces it with the very thing we can never accomplish and yet have as a gift, which is peace and stillness. That God is a God and a king who comes to give you stillness. When was the last time you felt stillness? In the chaos and the busyness of our own lives, that you're still and you're content and and you felt okay. You felt safe, that nothing could be taken from you. That he takes our fears and does much with them, and he does it all by just saying a word, peace, be still. What fears mark your story that the high king, the lord of the storm, speaks a word and extinguishes it? What is that word for you in your particular story, in your particular fears? Maybe you're uh, afraid, and rightfully so, because you've been called close and then pushed away. That you're used goods now. Maybe you feel like uh, you don't have enough to be in the relationship that you're in, or you've left a relationship and, and now you don't know what how to go forward. Maybe you just really are dreading the next four days a holiday where people gather and are thankful and and you're just trying to scratch and find something that you're thankful for. I don't know what fears mark your life, but the high king, the lord of the storm, who's in the boat with the disciples, speaks a word to extinguish it and give peace to it. What word specifically is the high king whispering in your ear and saying, it's okay, peace be still, I'm with you. He addresses our fears by rebuking it, the threat, and filling it in with a word of peace. That's what he does. And lastly, we see how he addresses us. He doesn't just do stuff for us and take our fears away, but, uh, but, but he does something particular. And he, and he turns to the disciples and he addresses them. And I would offer that he also uses the same language and approach when he addresses us in our fears. The story ends when it says, 
He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. What is he asking and giving out when he asks them that question? The question of, uh, why are you so afraid? Still, uh, have you still no faith? And it's important to note, very important to note, that um, we can hear that, and it's riddled with shame. The, why don't you have faith? And make it, make it be known, Jesus never uses shame as a motivator, ever. That is not a part of his game. He's not speaking uh, and inducing shame in them so that faith can be mustered up. He's reminding them, I'm with you and I can be trusted. But I'm right there in the boat with you. I'm not gonna shame you for the uh, large amount or little amount of faith you have. It's not about amounts as much as it is as it about the object of faith. And he's saying, I'm right here with you. Allow me to be the object of your faith. Turn your eyes to me. So if that's the solution, how do we make Jesus, the Lord of the storm, the person who's in the boat with us, the object of our faith? That's the, the kind of more silver bullet. How do we make it happen? And it's how we, uh, we are to respond like the disciples responded, fear. There are two times in the story that fear is mentioned. One, when the disciples are afraid of the storm. The storm is going to take their lives. And the second time is when the disciples are afraid and fearful of Jesus. That fear is induced in them because of the fact that Jesus has just calmed a storm. And Jesus is highlighting the fact that you can be afraid. Not in a way that a storm will uh, take something from you and threaten you, but you can be afraid in a way that you're safe. You can be in awe of, of who I am. That there is a holy fear and a good fear that should be in us because we see what Jesus can do. And we marvel at it and say, I'm with that guy. He's going to win the day. Uh, Tim Keller notes and says, uh, why were they more afraid in the calm than they were in the storm? Because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. Jesus had infinitely more power. So they had even less control over him. But there's one difference. Nature is indifferent to you. But Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. The storms in your life that cause fear can take things from you. And that's all they exist to do is to take and to take and to take until you're gone and they exist more. And yet, Jesus is here to remind you, I'm here to calm the storms of your life, the fears that Riddle your, uh, riddle your days that keep you up at night, that are there to meet you in the morning. Those are the things that he can do much with because he'll speak words of calm and peace over them. And all he asks you to do is to turn to him as you're in the boat, in the storm, as you're bailing water out, and to put your pail down and look to him and say, do much with the storm in my life. Do much with the fear in my life that cripples me. 
Where in your life do you need to put the things that you've been trying to fight so hard down and turn to him and say, do much with the mess that's about to overtake me? The water's filling up. I can't bail anymore. Teacher, don't you care that we perish? Do great things with the storm. I was at a funeral yesterday for a friend who had passed away. Uh, I went to high school with him. Uh, And he died after a year and a half of leukemia. He's 27 years old. He leaves a 27-year-old widow behind. And after about a year and a half living at Vanderbilt pretty much, at the ICU floor, after um, stem cell transplants, after chemos, after all of those things, after his body was just whittled away, this was read at his funeral. And it's the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The reason that was read at his funeral is because it was read at his bedside days and days and days as he endured what was against him. As the storm of his life inside of him, as his body and this cancer just collided, that was read. And it was read because it became real to him. And the way it became real to him is that the closer he got to death, the more true it became. In that, nothing could be taken from him, even as cancer was taking everything from him. Even as cancer would actually win. He knew cancer wouldn't win. It's so hard um, to have clarity and strength and um, a drive when you're so when you're drowning in fear, when you're so undone by fear. It's so hard. And yet it's an amazing hope to know that even the fear that cripples you and cripples me and the storms that we're in will not win the day because Jesus won't allow it. We're perplexed, but we're not undone. We're we're not crushed, even though we're pressed on every side. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. That's the story we live in. And the, the, the object of our faith, the person in the boat with us, longs to offer you that because that kind of person has categories and can use the hard struggles and pains of our life to make us even more beautiful. He invites us, um, even in our storms, to not miss the Lord of the storm who's right there in the boat with you, able and willing and ready to do much with your life. He's there. Let's go to him. Let's pray. Lord is a fearful person. Um, It's so easy to be consumed. And yet we need the reminder of the song we just sang, you're overwhelming all my fears with peace. 
all the chaos in our lives that seek to be hostile to our existence and our flourishing, you speak a word to and undo it. I don't know what these, my friends, need this morning, but you do. Would you overwhelm them with peace? Would that be their daily bread? We long to know that our Redeemer lives. And so this day, remind us that you are the Lord of the storm and and silence it with a word and are with us in the boat this very moment. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen. That our Redeemer lives. And so this day, remind us that you are the Lord of the storm and, and silence it with a word and are with us in the boat this very moment. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen.